Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, the life of Jesus beautifully exemplifies what Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes 3, in verse 1 and 2, when he said, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Jesus lived through various seasons of life. In fact, you and I are living through seasons of life. Some of you may be in a very good season. You may be in a fruitful season. Some of you may be in a barren season. You're going through a difficult experience of life. But seasons end. Seasons don't last. That's the good news for some about the bad news. It's just seasonal. There's a refrain in scripture you read time and time again where it says, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. I like what that preacher said. He said, thank God it didn't come to stay, right? (laughs) Things come to pass. Life is seasonal. It's what Solomon wrote. Life is seasonal. Jesus lived through seasons of his life. And then he says, and to everything there is a time to every purpose under heaven. Now, when you really understand what he's teaching there, he's saying, that as long as you and I have purpose, God will give us time. Our time on this earth, though it's limited, I mean, when you study scripture, the Bible says all of the references about physical life all deal with the brevity of it and the uncertainty of it. James says life is like a dream. It's like a puff of smoke. Uh, David wrote and said life is like the grass that grows in the spring to wither in the summer and fall. So life, every time it's spoken of in the Bible, the uncertainty of it, the brevity of it is always emphasized. So life is, life is short, but our time, though brief on this earth, is always connected to our, our purpose. And as long, ladies and gentlemen, as God has a purpose for you to be on this planet, you're going to be around. <laughs> you won't be here a skinny minute longer than your purpose, but as long as you have purpose, You'll be here. God will give you time. You say, well, how do I know? How how will I know when my time, oh, you'll know when your time is, you'll know when your time is up. I've told you before, you'll be the first to know. And whoever's right next to you will be the next to know. So until we face that hour, that moment, you and I understand we are given life each and every day because God has a purpose. He has a reason. In fact, when you look in the life of Jesus who beautifully exemplifies this principle, The Bible says in Galatians 4.4 that he came to the earth in the fullness of time. It was exactly the right moment in time, in history, when he needed to be here. His time started on the earth and it was connected with his purpose. Everything Jesus did, he was purposeful. Even as a 12-year-old boy, he's in the temple and when his mother comes to him and goes, Jesus Christ, where have you been? Literally. Uh, she, he says to her, you caught that, right? He says to her, he says, I have to be about my father's business. Meaning he understood at 12 years old, man, the top clock is ticking. He's on this earth for just a brief time. And so he was about his purpose. And then time and time again, when the religious leaders of their day tried to kill him and stop his purpose, you would see him as he would flee and he would run and places like John 7, he would say, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet, it's not time to die. He wasn't afraid to die, it just wasn't time to die. 
He, was, he wasn't fearing death. He came to the earth to go to the cross. The Bible says he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He wasn't a victim on the cross. The cross is why he came. But he knew it wasn't time. Everything about his life was done on time. And finally, when you get to John 17, he said, the hour has come. It's time. This is the reason, this is the purpose, this is why my Father brought me to this earth. It is now time for me to fulfill my purpose here on earth. And he goes to the cross and he dies. And so I'm saying Jesus beautifully exemplifies, he beautifully typifies that principle that ladies and gentlemen, you and I likewise have purpose. And as long as you and I have purpose, God will give us time. His disciples, his disciples finally started connecting dots when Jesus was telling them, I'm going to the cross. <laughs> I'm not going to be here a long time. Many scholars believe he was only on the earth about 33 years or so. And so he knew, he told them from get-go, I'm, I'm just going to be here a short time. I'm going to impart into you the things that I need you to go and tell the world, but I'm just here for a while. My purpose on this earth will be fulfilled and my time will be up and I will ascend back to my father on Easter. And so he, he's sharing that with them. And finally, when you get to John 14, they're finally coming to terms with it. It's like when you get bad news about a loved one and they say, your loved one is not going to be here long. And all of a sudden at first, you know, they say that first step is denial. You just can't, you can't, your mind almost doesn't allow you to accept what your ears have heard. And so finally you get to that point where you are accepting the inevitable. And the apostles were there in John 14. They realized his purpose was almost complete now. His time on the earth was almost finished. And they start grieving. They're in the process of grieving. And Jesus utters this beautiful word in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be overcome with grief. Grief is a healthy thing. It is a way in which we can express emotion and it's good to grieve. The difference in how we grieve, the Bible says, Paul was writing in, uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, you just don't sorrow like people who have no hope. Because as a Christ follower, we believe that there is a place called heaven. We believe that we are eternal beings. And we know that there is something beyond this veil of tears, this earthly experience. It's hope. So Jesus says to them, don't, don't be overcome with this grief. Don't let it consume you. Let not your heart be troubled. And here's why. You've believed in God. Believe also in me. And then he went on to say, for in my Father's house are many mansions. And I love the next line. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I wouldn't play on your emotions. I wouldn't take advantage of you when you were vulnerable emotionally. He said, if there were no heaven, if there were nothing beyond this veil of tears, I would tell you. Then we could just buy into the Epicurean philosophy and just say, hey, baby, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. There ain't nothing after this, right? But he said, I go to prepare a place for you. By the way, heaven is a place and the people who live there are as real as the people in this room. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he said, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, Jesus said, there you may be also. Somebody said, where's heaven? It's wherever Jesus is. <laughs> and wherever he is, it'll be heaven for me. And so he was telling his apostles, look, one day I'm coming. I'm going to call you. You're coming home. You're going to the big house. <laughs> and, and there is a place. I'm preparing it for you. And one day you'll be with me. And why is he saying that to them? Because they're grieving. 
They needed something to help them to pull the nose of the plane up, to get their eyes back on the horizon and to help them realize, man, this is just temporary. uh, Sorrow is a season. This too shall pass. You will get through this experience. And so Jesus is ministering to his apostles and helping them understand this is necessary. It's my purpose that I go to the cross. It's important for you that I do this. Though you're grieving, don't be overcome with grief. And then he leaves that scene in John 14 and he goes to the scene that we're gonna talk about just for a few moments while we're together. In John 15, they're walking through an area called the Kidron Valley. Uh, similar to Napa Valley, where there are vineyards everywhere. It was a beautiful place. Uh, wine was a, 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 a popular uh, a drink of, of, of commerce and enjoyment. And so uh, they were walking through this Kidron Valley area. And Jesus, being the masterful communicator, finds this and sees this as a teachable moment. And can I stop long enough to say the most effective communicator that ever lived was Jesus? You study his type of communication. He he didn't communicate to impress, but to express. He was communicating. Um, If he wanted to impress people, he could. Back to age 12, he's in the uh, synagogue confounding the scripture. Says he confounded the doctors and lawyers. The most educated people were stunned that this kid could be so beyond his years, so full of knowledge. He could have done that. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus and how he communicated, I'd like to say he put, he put the cookies on the bottom shelf so we could all reach them, right? You, you ever heard somebody and you say, man, that guy must be brilliant. I didn't understand a thing he said. <laughs> you ever had that experience? Here's what I found about that. Just because a river's muddy doesn't mean it's deep. <laughs> Just because you didn't understand him doesn't mean he said anything. Jesus wanted to be clear. I mean, if he's talking about being uh, stressed or worried as he did in Matthew 5, he, he uses this illustration. He's talking about don't be worried. So he says, look at the, look at the flowers. Look how the, the Lord just covers the earth with flowers. And he says, they, they don't worry. They don't toil. They don't, look at those flowers. You ever seen a stressed flower? He said, the birds of the air, the Father created them. You, you, ever, see a, you ever see a sparrow just gnaw his little nails down to the quick? He said, they're not stressed, why? They know their creator's gonna take care of them. And then he went on to say, after using that as a practical illustration, he said, aren't you much more valuable to me than them? As valuable as they are to the creator, he said, you're even more, because you're the imago Dei, you're, you're created in the image of God. So you're valuable to him, he loves you. And so I'm just suggesting to your heart that Jesus was such a masterful communicator that when he's seeing this moment as he's going toward the cross, he's seeing this as a great teachable moment. He sees the vineyards of the Kidron Valley and he gives to them another metaphor. In the series, we've been talking about these metaphors, these anthropomorphic terms that our Lord uses to try to help us understand who he is to us. Oftentimes the Lord would teach using parables, right? He would use, what is a parable? Think of the word parallel. It's one line down beside the other, like a railroad track running, one track down beside the other. A parable is a parallel. It is one truth beside another truth. It is an earthly illustration with a a heavenly or a spiritual meaning. And it was a popular method of communicating that our Lord would use. So now he's walking through the Kidron Valley and he's going to use this new metaphor 
He said last week he's the good shepherd. Well, he didn't say that last week, I did. <laughs> but uh, he said it originally. But now he's about to use the second metaphor where he's saying, I am the true vine. I'm the real deal. In contradistinction to false vines, and there were people who were attaching to people who didn't know what they were talking about. He says, in, 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 as opposed to that, let me say, I'm the true vine. So let's pick that up for a few moments with me in John 15. If you have a Bible, if not, look at the screen here. Let me read this passage to you. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My father is the gardener. Now your translation may have that vine dresser. It may have that caretaker. It's all the same. He said, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, by the way, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, trust me, rest in me, abide in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But here's the warning, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first reality as we look at that narrative is the idea of growing in, being connected in the vine. Now what's implied there, as I said a moment ago, is there are false vines. There are vines that aren't true vines. So Jesus said, look, I am, I'm the true vine. If I'm looking at these vineyards and I'm looking at fruit and I'm looking at what is best for people, I want you to know there's a lot of resources, there are a lot of sources, there are, there's a lot of information out there. But if you wanna know the truth, if you wanna be associated with the true vine, it's in your relationship to Jesus. He had just told them back in Luke, uh, 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 John 14 that I gave you a moment ago. He just said, after let not your heart be troubled. Remember Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, he gave him really the only answer that's ever been given in the Bible that really resolves the issue as how does a person end up in heaven. Jesus said in John 14, six, he said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except by me. So we say all the time, it's not your religion. It is not your rules. It is not your rituals. It is not your righteousness. It is your relationship to Jesus. That's the most significant, important thing. It's the only thing that, eter that determines eternal destiny is what do you think about Jesus, right? And so Jesus has picked up on this again now. He says, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, not only am I the way, truth, and the life, but I am the true, I'm the true vine. So it's important who you're connected to. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, uh, the writer picks it up this way and says, in him, in him, we live and we move and we have our being. In my relationship with Jesus, I'm able to do what I do. I live and I move and I have my being. God doesn't take life, he just stops giving life. We have life because God gives life. And the moment our purpose is over, he'll just stop giving life and he'll summon us home, absent from the body in that moment to be present with the Lord. So I'm suggesting to your heart this morning that it is significant that you be in the vine. And then he goes on to say, not only to be in the vine, and Jesus is the true vine, but he talks about the vine dresser, the caretaker. And he says, the one that is watching over the vine, the one that is taking care of the vine, listen, the one that is doing best for the vine is his father. He's the vine dresser, he's the caretaker. He oversees all that is going on. 
And can I tell you this morning, there's nothing you can experience that God doesn't know about. There's nothing that you go through that he's not aware of. Listen, prayer is not making God aware. <laughs> See, I hadn't prayed in a long time. It's gonna take me a while to catch him up. No, he's up to speed. You're good. You're good. You can pick it up right now, and he knows right where you are. Someone as well said, has it ever occurred to you? Nothing has ever occurred to God. <laughs> so you don't have to catch him up on anything. He's well aware. He's right on top of the job. He's the vine dresser. And as the vine dresser, the Bible says he does two things. Number one, he cuts away the unfruitful branch. And number two, he cultivates the fruitful branch. Think about that. Cutting away, cultivating. Cutting away the unfruitful branch. He looks at the branch that is attached in some way to the vine, but in its attachment to the vine, it bears no fruit. There's nothing genuine coming from it. There's nothing authentic as a result of it. It is a faux branch. It is a phony vine. It's like plastic fruit on the table. Years ago in my God's Other Church, I was hosting a, a group of folks out at our house and uh, this elderly lady was there and uh, Cindy had this little wax, I don't even know what it was, but it was like wax air freshener in a bowl. It was like a potpourri thing, but it was wax, little chunks of wax. I, I don't know, you ladies probably know exactly what was there. So we're hosting this event. Some of you are already ahead of me and know what's happening. And this dear, sweet, little old saint of God is in heaven now, probably listening in, laughing about what I'm about to tell you. She walked by and she would pick up these little chunks of waxy, fragrant, whatever it was, and eat it. She would eat them. And I saw her pick up one and I just didn't say anything, right? Was that wrong? Should I, should I have said something? Anyway, I didn't. I just watched her. I thought, this is what? And she, like, she made this bitter face, and then she went ahead, but she ate all this. She told me later, she said, that's probably the worst snack I've ever tried to eat. I, I never, I even did her funeral, and still, did, even then, didn't tell her the truth about the whole thing. But it, it was, it, it smelled great. It smelled fragrant, but it, it was not nutritious. It was not for consumption. <laughs> and there are unfruitful branches that look great, but they don't benefit anyone. In fact, if you don't cut them away, they will actually draw life out of the vine. They'll actually bring life out of the vine. Do you realize, let me just make this practical for you. Do you realize if you're not assessing and addressing issues in your life, you will find there will be people who will attach themselves to you who care nothing for you they're with you because of what they can get from you or get out of you. And if you're not careful, those people will begin to suck life right out of you. They'll begin to take the joy right out of your life. Now, I understand as a Christ follower, our job is to pour into other people and you're gonna pour into other people who won't pour into you. I get that, that's part of ministry. But when you're looking for a relationship that is reciprocal, a relationship that pours into you, you have to be able to differentiate, is this a person I'm pouring into or is this a person who we more mutually pour into each other? You have to understand that because if you're not careful, you will surround yourself with people who will attach themselves to you, unfruitful vines, and they will pull the life out of the vine. Um, there are, as I've said, replenishing friendships and draining friendships. And you can't avoid the draining friendships. You're always gonna have them. They're gonna be around. You just have to be healthy enough to learn how to deal with them. And some people, listen, you just can't fix. 
I've heard people sometimes who just think, you know, that they're doing the work of God in being a friend to someone who helping them is hurting them. Look, when helping someone else starts hurting you, uh, that's not a healthy situation. You're trying to prop up an unfruitful branch. Don't presume upon God. <laughs> if he's not, you can't. <laughs> I don't know how to make that more clear. <laughs> you know what I do with somebody like that? I love them, I pray for them, I turn them over to God, and I avoid them. <laughs> Sweetly, prayerfully, lovingly, I stay away from them. I saturate their presence with my absence. <laughs> Listen you, you, listen, you have to have some people you very sweetly kick to the proverbial curb. Can I say that uh, sweetly? There's some relationships you have to be away from. So, well, somebody said you can't soar the eagles if you hang with the turkeys. Look, here's a principle. Association will beget assimilation. You become like the people you hang with. Jesus poured into 70. There's 70 by the time you get to Acts 1. He was very close to 12 but he was only really friends with three. When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Simon, Peter, James, and John, three out of the 12. By the way, there's not enough of you to be fair with everyone in your circle to give that much to someone. So there's probably very few people who really know you. There are people who think they know you, but they don't really know you. You think about the people who, who said, maybe they're gonna bring you a piece of gossip about someone and they bring some piece of, and you happen to know this person and you say, well, what exactly did they say? And you hear the phrasing, right? You hear them tell you how they said what they say you said and the person who knows you said, she would never say that. And if she said it, she wouldn't say it that way. <laughs> Not, why? Why, why, how can they defend you? They know you. You have people that close to you who knows you. I'm just saying, you have to understand, they're draining relationships. You minister to them, pray for them, stay away from them, and you have replenishing relationships. You have vines that are fruitful and vines that are, and this is the vine dresser. He's saying this, this branch is not bearing fruit. You remember when Jesus walked by the fig tree, the fig tree wasn't bearing fruit, and the Bible says he cursed the fig tree. Now, he didn't cuss it, he cursed it. <laughs> So he curses the fig tree, and the Bible says the fig tree started to die. And you read, why did he do that? He said, because it's just taking up space. It's encumbering the ground. It's, it's, not bearing, it's not bearing fruit. The purpose for being here was to benefit someone else. And when it's all about you, and it's all, the difference in the two bodies of water in the Holy Land between the uh, Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea takes in and never gives out. That's, a, that's an unfruitful branch. You're gonna have people in your life that will take, 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 never give, 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 and their soul is just dead. <laughs> and you can't save them. You can't save them. If you died for them, you didn't save them through your death, you're dead and they're still crazy. <laughs> There's some people you just can't help. I, I love what Big Ed Young talks about down Second Houston. He said that every church in his theory, he's been doing this a long time, he says his theory is every church has about 17 kooks about 17, roughly. I hadn't counted. <laughs> Most of ours, I think we're at Saturday, well, I can't say, we're, on, we're, we're streaming this, right? I was gonna say Saturday at 9.30, but I was just, uh, I would just be, uh, uh, what's the word, playing, playing to you, playing to my audience. But he said 17 coots. And he said, here's what that looks like. He said a pastor or someone on staff or someone will pour into this person, 
They're available 24-7. Anytime the phone rings, they jump, run, put the little red light on top of the car. Oh, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. What can I do? You need money? I'll help you with money. What do you need? Oh, I'm here for you. I'm here. You pour into poor. They never help you, but they're always, oh, help me, help me, help me. And they're always running to help them, help them, help them. And he says, here's what's happened. Finally, one day you die. You die. They kill you. You're just dead. You're exhausted. You're dead. And you get into heaven and God walks over to you and puts his arm around you and takes you over to the edge of heaven and said, look down there. See those 17 people? They're as crazy now as the day you first met them. And he says, look, if I couldn't do anything for them, why in the world do you think you could? Now that's a whole lot on an unfruitful branch, but I hope I've helped somebody with the idea that you gotta learn the difference between the people who suck life out of you and the people who pour into you. And then he said, concerning the fruitful branch, he said he cultivates it. He prunes it. Now that's kind of puzzling, right? The purpose of a branch is to bear fruit. And he says, you know what I'll do with a fruitful branch? I'll prune it. I'll take everything off of it. I'll strip it right down. And we start all over again. You say, why would you do that? He does it because he knows its potential is greater than it's currently producing. And to get it to potential, it has to go through some pain. Sometimes the path to production is painful. Sometimes to move me from, to where I could be and where I should be requires some discomfort in where I am. You remember the eagle? We talked about how she builds her nest and she lines it with feathers and fur until the day comes when the little baby birds need to fly. And what mama bird does is she begins to pull the fur and the feathers out of the nest to make it uncomfortable. And what starts getting exposed is the hard elements that made the base of the nest, the thorns and the thistles and the branches. And all of a sudden baby birds moving around going, mama, this is uncomfortable. And the little baby bird moves right up to the edge of the nest and it's getting ready to fly. And the reality is from that analogy is baby bird would have never left the nest if there weren't some feathers and fur that got removed. Sometimes God makes the nest uncomfortable to get his birds to fly. Now that's another metaphor. But the point I'm making here is sometimes the gardener will strip the branch, he'll prune. Some of you are getting pruned today, right? You know what the incredible thing about being pruned is it doesn't affect the branch's relationship to the vine. Did you know you can have communion with God when everything in your world is going south? You can be connected to the vine all the while you're being pruned. When you look at the analogy of the vine dresser, he doesn't damage the relationship that the branch has in the vine. They're still connected. Inside, there's a connection, though on the outside, everything is getting stripped away and everything is going south. So I'm just suggesting to you that when that happens, he says, what do you do? He said, remain in me, abide in me. Let me give it to you another way, trust me. What's the response when you're getting pruned? Trust him. One of my life verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, wait a minute. He didn't say you're not to have understanding. He just said be careful leaning too heavily on your own understanding. You know why? Because I don't have all the facts. Neither do you. If you were to go to the Louvre Museum in Paris, you'll find there's a section there that has thousands and thousands and thousands of outdated science textbooks. And we know science is never settled. They're constantly learning. They're constantly understand. There's new information that they're constantly acquiring. But I'm saying, at one point, these science textbooks were taught as fact. Now they're relics. I've shared this with you before. Uh, one time in our country, at one period of time in our country, medical science thought as scientific fact that if you were sick with certain types of illnesses, the way you would be cured is they would bleed you. They would bleed you. 
So you go to places and they would cut you and bleed you a little thinking get the bad blood out so the body can generate new blood, right? <laughs> now can you imagine going to your physician this week and they suggesting to you that we just bleed you a little bit? That happens when the bill comes, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the point is, there was a time in the country when that was thought to be scientific fact. No one laughed at that. They went, oh wow, he's gotta get bled. In fact, the candy stripe pole outside the barber station, you know what the origin of that is? That represented a station where you could go and be bled. <laughs> so you had the candy stripe pole. It was a bleeding station. In fact, a lot of historians believe that part of the things that hastened the death of George Washington was he was anemic because they had bled him so much. What's my point? When you lean heavily on your own understanding, you're, like, you're likely to get bled because <laughs> you don't know everything. When you start demanding that God explain himself, which he seldom does, I haven't had him do it yet. So I'm just saying, you don't lean too heavily on you. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean too heavily on your own understanding because you don't have all the facts, but instead, in all your ways, he said, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. What did he say to the disciples when you're getting pruned? Abide in me, remain in me, hang in there, trust me. Pruning is a season, you'll get through it. Pruning is necessary, it'll end, but you'll get through it. So you have this idea of growing in. Let me get you the last two and we'll go home. It also involves growing up. It also involves growing out. Let me explain it this way. One of the things that happens when a person is pruned is they become fruitful, right? You bear fruit. What kind of fruit do we, let's make this practical. What, what is the fruit the Bible talks about that we bear? The first type is in Galatians 5. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not fruit that I can manufacture, that's the work of God in me. And when you look at what it is, it's not fruits in the plural of the Holy Spirit, it's fruit, singular, meaning there's one fruit with a cluster, many types of fruit under that, in that cluster. And then he explains it in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, temperance, something else. All that's in that cluster of fruit. <laughs> I can't remember. It's something. <laughs> so it's in there. And the point is, that's what the, that's what the holy, I could make something up, but I might be wrong. Uh, patience, how's that one? Uh, anyway, the, the point is, the point is, that's something the Holy Spirit generates in your life, right? That, in other words, if you stay, if you rest in the vine, you stay connected to the creator, all the while he's pruning you, you know what's happening? You're becoming more loving, uh, more long-suffering, more gentle, uh, more meek, nah, more meek, right? What is meek? Meek is controlled strength. They used to talk about breaking a horse, they'd call about it meeking the horse. Well, they didn't make the horse weaker. They gave, it, they gave it the horse who had power control, control over power. To be meek means you, you're powerful, but you have control. You, you know when to speak up and when to shut up. You, you know how to defend yourself and you know when not to. So it's meekness. Now, let me tell you something. Those are qualities that are not natural. Those aren't natural. The natural quality is works of the flesh, he contrasts there in Galatians 5, which we take matters in our own hands and we fight our fight, right? That's works of the flesh. But these are fruit of the spirit, meaning that if I abide in the vine, even though I'm getting pruned, God is doing something. He's creating something in me sometimes I can't even see, but other people see. 
I'm telling you, if you're dating, look for somebody that's got some of that fruit in their life. If you're in a business partnership, be in a partnership with somebody you can spot some fruit in their life. Now, I'm not saying being judgmental of people. I'm just saying be a fruit inspector. <laughs> just look for fruit. If you don't see any love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, temperance, and the other thing, if you don't see that there, then I would just say, wait, I don't know about this, right? And then the second fruit is the fruit of the believer. That's here in John 15. The fruit of the believer is another believer. It's what we're, we reproduce after our kind, right? Genesis 1. So whenever I share my faith with someone and that person comes to faith in Jesus, that's being fruitful. Churches should be fruitful. In fact, if you look at what he says, there's a progression. Did you notice that? He says there's fruit. Then he says there's more fruit. Then he says there's much fruit. So he's moving us progressively as a church, collectively, where we're bearing fruit, we're bearing more fruit, we're bearing much fruit. And the only way a church like an individual can be more fruitful is it has to get pruned. So you're gonna go through a heartache, you're gonna go through a difficulty, you're going through a tough experience, and the importance of it, uh, of that is people depend on it. We, we have something that they need. In the Bible time, uh, there were three staple drinks. There was water, water was scarce, it was an arid region, so they had to be very careful with how they used water. The second was milk, milk would spoil, so it didn't last. So the most popular, most available, readily available drink was wine. Now sometimes it would get fermented, so they'd have to cut it so you could get through your day. <laughs> but wine was given to, it says when people were overwhelmed with sorrow or sometimes they were in pain, it was a good anesthetic to numb the harm, the hurt a little. And so they would give the, you know, the, give the idea of, of moderation, all that was taught and how you, would, uh, how you would consume. But the point is there were the two essential things about it that I just want to make this point. One was wine was for enjoyment and wine was also for employment. It was a great commerce. It drove a lot of the, the local economy. So when you think about that, enjoyment and employment, all of that really constitutes the relationship you have as, a, as the branch connected to the vine. Part of it is enjoyment. I mean, I have a wonderful relationship with God. You come to church like this, and we hope you leave feeling better. We hope you leave with a burden lifted. We hope you leave connecting some dots that help you get through your week to motivate you, hopefully. And so that's enjoyment, right? But it's also for employment because it's more than just about my enjoyment. It's about me serving someone else. We have a food pantry. We have opportunities of ministry and service. Why? Is it because we think you don't have enough to do already? No. It's because we're trying to incorporate a significant discipline, and that is it's about other people. It's about serving other people. Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And so I'm suggesting if a church goes to either extreme, it'll get in trouble. If a church goes over here to the enjoyment extreme and it's just about us and our Holy Ghost goosebumps and all the good feels we get, if that's what it's about... That's wonderful, but if, if that's all it's about, you don't get anything done. It's just about my feeling and what I get when I come, right? And now you soon become an unfruitful branch because you're just taking and not giving. On the other hand, if you go to the other extreme and it's all about work and employment, uh, you, you get over here on this side of, of the thing, then Vance Habner said churches can become five miles wide and half an inch deep. There's no depth. It's all work, work, work. There's no connection. So I say it's a balance. 
This connection to the vine that brings about fruit is enjoyment. Yes, there's something that we can enjoy, but it's also so we can break the huddle and go out into the real world and make a difference in someone else's life. One last verse, let me give it to you and I'll close. Mark chapter three, verse 14. The Bible says Jesus called the 12 to him, get this now, so that he might send them out to preach. Get that? He called them to him. That's what we've done this morning. We've called you and through worship, we hope you've connected with God. Um, in this collective experience, we hope you've drawn closer to God. So, but the point of this is to go out and do that. See, the enjoyment is for the employment. One of these days, it's all gonna be enjoyment. We're gonna be in heaven forevermore, right? We ain't there yet. My dad used to preach these long sermons and service. I mean, we had like two hour services. Can you imagine? We run this one by the clock. I'm the only one that doesn't abide by the clock. And forgive me, Father, I'll try to do better. But the point is, I mean, it would go long. My dad used to say, oh, this kid, I hear him say this. You get to heaven, it's gonna be one continual church service. And I was a little kid, but I finally figured it out. I said, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a glorified rear end that can set through a service that long, right? I mean, the mind can only absorb what the backside can endure. <laughs> and there comes a point when the brother needs a break. <laughs> I need to leave, this is too much, I'm hungry. <laughs> you gotta beat the Presbyterians to the cafeteria. So the point is, Heaven's gonna be all that, but we ain't there yet, guys. Right now we gather to enjoy him so we can go out to represent him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that never grows old. Isaiah said it never returns void. I pray this morning that we will, as James admonished us, not just to hear it, but to act on it. Faith without works is dead. So I pray this morning we will have learned something, experienced something through worship, through your word, that will better inspire us, equip us to walk out of this room and make a difference in someone else's life. Father, I just pray our church will be effective, a safe place for people who need to know you. As we're moving into the Easter season, I pray that we'll be praying about someone somewhere out there that we know in our circle who doesn't know you. We've never experienced a church quite like this. And I pray, Father, that we could have the courage and the opportunity to invite them to attend with us. That you might do something incredible and even eternal in their life from that experience. My friends this morning and those watching online who may never have trusted you, they've never really connected with the vine. I pray this might be the moment when they humble their heart, they invite you into their life. And finally, Lord, for those who need someone to pray for them before they go home to encourage them, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their way here to the front and let one of these amazing people here spend just a few minutes to encourage them, pray for them before they go home. Bless the families this week, bless the teachers, all the professionals who work in labor and, and serve other people, medical professionals, law enforcement, all that we have, our military. Father, I pray this will be a safe, productive week Bring us back to this place, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.